Please remain standing as we read God's word, which is from John 20, verses 24 through 29. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Heavenly Father, in these next few moments as we open your word, God, I pray that as we come to understand who you are and come to understand who you have called us to be, Lord, we would be changed by that understanding. And Lord, I pray, God, as we stand before your word, Lord, I pray that our lives would reflect the time we have spent before you. And Lord, I pray that all these things would be done to your glory through the power of your Holy Spirit in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray all these things. Amen. <clears throat> In 1910, Violet Jessup became a stewardess on an ocean liner, a luxury ocean liner, in fact, um, one that she believed to be extremely beautiful, and uh, she was excited to work on it. It was called the Olympic. Um, in 1911, however, as Violet was aboard the Olympic, the Olympic struck another British ship and began to take on water. And began to sink. However, they were close enough to the port. They were able to make it into the port and offload everyone before the ship sank to the bottom of the harbor. Just a few years later, Violet took another job as a stewardess aboard an ocean liner. And as she took this position, she believed it to be amazing. She was um, on the most beautiful, the largest ocean liner to date called the Titanic and of course you know what happened uh, with the Titanic what you may not know is that Violet of course aboard the Titanic was actually able to escape and to one of the lifeboats and was rescued and then just prior to World War II Violet again became a stewardess on a luxury ocean liner called the Britannic which just prior to World War II, <clears throat> hit a mine that was left by a German U-boat, and it sank. And before it sank, Violet leapt from the deck, hitting the water, fracturing her skull, 
but then was rescued and lived to the ripe old age of 83. Now, while there are many things that we could learn from Violet's life, like one of my general rules, don't get on big ships in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> or, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> right? But the truth is, one of the things we can learn from Violet's life is this. While we don't know what was going through her mind, we don't know why she chose these positions, we don't know why she chose these, these jobs, the one thing we do know, the one thing we understand that she dealt with, or, or rather understood, and that is this, Violet understood what it felt like to sink. She understood what it felt like to have the thing that you are standing on going under and have no hope and have nowhere to put your feet. She understood what it was like to despair and she understood what it was like to fear. And maybe, maybe you feel like you're sinking today. Maybe you feel as though you need to be throwing things overboard just to survive or maybe you yourself need to jump overboard. <clears throat> doubts about your faith, doubts about the character of God, doubts about what he has promised, they can all slow you down like trying to sail while dragging an anchor behind you. With the burden too great to bear, too heavy, it feels like some mornings you don't even want to get out of bed. However, the truth of Jesus' resurrection the truth of Jesus' resurrection can turn your doubt into a steadfast faith. The truth of Jesus' resurrection can turn your doubt into a steadfast faith. Now John chapter 20, as we see John's account, and we, we looked at John's account uh, in regard to uh, the resurrection. John basically walks through it. It's not as detailed as Luke's. Uh, John basically says Jesus died, Jesus rose, then Mary Magdalene, he appeared to Mary Magdalene. Um, and then Peter and John ran on to the tomb, and then he appeared to the other disciples. We know that in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So Jesus showed up and he saw the disciples and, and the disciples saw him. And, and they, he appears in the room. We have this post-resurrection miracle where Jesus just shows up. Because he, he wants us to know, John wants us to know, that the doors were locked. No one knocked. No one, no one came through a window. Jesus just appeared. Whether it means he walked through a wall or he just appeared. Frankly, I think whether he just appeared or walked through a wall, both are a miracle. So it doesn't really matter. He just showed up in the room. And as he shows up in this room, he says, peace be with you. And what we find here is something very interesting. This is what's happening. So Mary Magdalene has seen Jesus. We know from the other gospel accounts, the other women have seen Jesus. Um, we know that now the disciples have seen Jesus. We know that there are two disciples on the road to Emmaus who have seen Jesus. We know from other gospel accounts that Jesus also appeared to Peter by himself and they have all seen him, except one. Except one. Now see, 
you may be dealing with doubt this morning. And I want you to know something. For all of your reasons, for all of your reasons for doubt, there is only one root. You may have a lot of reasons for your doubt, but there's really only one root for your doubt. In verse 24 of chapter 20 in the book of John, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, or Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. So, so Thomas shows up. We don't know where he was. We don't, we don't know what he was doing. But Thomas was not there whenever Jesus appeared to the other disciples in this locked room. And so when Thomas comes back, he missed Jesus, he comes back, and the first thing they tell him is, Thomas, we have seen the Lord, right? This is the declaration that the women made to the rest of the disciples when they, when they said, we, they, they've taken his body, we have seen the Lord, and it says the disciples didn't believe them. So then Thomas shows up, and when Thomas shows up, the disciples say, Thomas, you'll never guess who we ran into. Jesus showed up in the room. But Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, unless I see. Thomas's statement is that he, it's not that he's just doubting. We, we call him doubting Thomas all the time. I don't know where we got up that common parlance, but the truth is Thomas is not doubting. Thomas is not believing. Thomas doesn't believe what's happened. Because the disciples say, we have seen him. The women say, we have seen him. And Thomas shows up and says, no you didn't. Unless I see. He's saying, you guys are crazy. I don't believe you. Unless I see. So the root of doubt is disbelief. It's disbelief. Now, why does he not believe them? Well, first, I guess he could think that they're lying. And he's just distrustful of them. He thinks they're making it up. So he says, I, I won't believe it until I can see it. Or he thinks they're deceived. Maybe he thinks that they don't actually, uh, that they didn't actually see the physical resurrected body of Christ. Maybe that's why he says, no, 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 I need to touch the scars. Why? Well, maybe you saw him, but maybe it was just the ghost. Or maybe it was just a figment of your imagination. Could be that he's feeling defeated. Um, you know, Thomas, we don't know a ton about Thomas. Other than the fact that, um, we know a few things about him rather. In, in John chapter 11 verse 16, right after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He says, now I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be beaten and handed over to evil men. I'm going to be crucified and so on and so forth. And he tells them that. And then Thomas turns to the other disciples in this fit of a frenzy, and he says, let us also go that we may die with him. Right? Thomas loves Jesus. He is committed to Jesus. He, Jesus is his friend, and he is willing to die with him. So we know Jesus, or Thomas is a devoted man. He, he is definitely devoted to Jesus. But then what happens? This very man who says, let's go to Jerusalem and die with him. Whenever Jesus is arrested, we hear about John, we do hear about Peter, but you notice we don't hear about any of the other disciples because the Bible says they all ran and hid. That would include Thomas, the very guy who says, hey, if you're going to die, I'll go die with you. Then when he gets arrested, he goes, never mind. Then he runs away. 
So maybe it's that he feels defeated. Or could it be, just like the other disciples, maybe those that were on the road to Emmaus, he's dreading disappointment. Why? Because he trusted Jesus, he believed in Jesus, and then he saw him die. And he just, I saw it. We already know. What is Thomas? Thomas is a man who says, I won't believe unless I see. He was dead. He was dead. But what's interesting is that Thomas's doubt, Thomas's disbelief, makes him say something very, very ironic and really contradictory. Thomas says, unless I see, I will never believe. Unless I see, I will never believe. The problem is, is that he's not technically believing the way that you and I understand faith. He's seeing. He's not saying, unless I believe, I will believe. He says, unless I see, I will believe, which is very different. He wants empirical, physical evidence to prove to him that Jesus is risen from the dead. See, and just like Thomas, our doubt, our our disbelief, it can cause us to not trust God. Jesus had already told his disciples repeatedly, as we've seen, repeatedly he told them, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, I'm going to rise from the dead. He's told them this a million times. Thomas has seen Jesus calm the storm. He has seen Jesus heal a man with a legion of demons. He's seen him heal a woman with an issue of blood. He has seen him raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. He was there when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus came out of the grave. He was there for all of that, and yet apparently when Jesus said, I'm going to die and then I'm going to rise, Thomas didn't really hear that. Or he just didn't really believe it. See, no matter what we know of Jesus and what we have seen him do in our lives and in the lives of others, still, in a moment's, at a moment's notice, when things get hard or when things get difficult or when things get strained, or whatever it might be, at that moment, what we do, and our, and our, and our stomach gets tied in knots because we don't know what's going to happen, and, and we're, we're afraid of the future and the fear of the unknown, we, just like Thomas, forget who God is. And we forget what he's done. We, we, in, a, in a moment, we, we will forget what he's done, and we will begin to doubt God And what we find is that when we doubt, as Jesus will show us in a minute, the issue is not that we doubt, it's that we don't believe. We don't believe. See, you may be sitting there today struggling, struggling with feelings, uh, struggling with thoughts, wanting answers to difficult questions like, if God is so good, then why does blank happen whatever it is fill in the blank or simply you're sitting there thinking how on earth could you believe that someone could die and then rise from the dead could be any number of fears or or questions and yet i want to ask you to do something this morning please don't let your doubt drive you away instead draw near so where do you where do you get that from i find something very interesting in this passage just a short passage but something very interesting about thomas that i think is important for us to know we you can even pass over it when you read it you can pass over it very quickly 
Thomas is one of the twelve, called the twin. He was with them. He says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later. Eight days later. So in this eight-day period, over a week, Thomas, and, and John wants us to know exactly how many days. He doesn't say about a week later. He says eight days. Literally eight days of Thomas living in disbelief, living in doubt, living in darkness, um, and the other disciples having hope, they're still afraid, but having hope um, because they have seen the resurrected Lord. So Thomas is in this room. Where do we find him? Eight days later, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, were inside again, and Thomas was with them. So now get this picture. You've got Thomas. Everybody else has seen the resurrected Lord. Everyone else in this room has seen him. They've experienced it. They, they know. They've spoken to him. They have heard him speak. They've seen him with their own eyes. And Thomas is in this room with all these people. And he's the only one there who has not seen Jesus. He hasn't seen him. Or, uh, and he hasn't, he hasn't heard from him. Nothing. And yet I find it interesting. Eight days later when he says, unless I see this, I will never believe Eight days later, where do we find Thomas? He's still with the family of faith. He is still in the family of faith. He's still hanging out with those who follow Jesus. See, Thomas is walking in doubt. The rest of them are walking in hope. It's interesting that while he is mired in doubt, and he's got all these questions, and he wants all this evidence, Thomas is with the other disciples. He's still with them. While struggling, he chose to struggle within the community of faith and not outside the community of faith. He chose to deal with his questions inside. We just put it in our, our, for our parlance. parlance. He, he chose to deal with his struggles and issues inside the church, not outside the church. So why is that so important? Well, for whatever reason, somehow, throughout the years... As a church of God, we have convinced people that this is not a safe place to struggle. You're going to struggle, you need to do that outside. That's not faith. But the truth is, you know, we're told in the scriptures to work out our own salvation in fear and in much trembling. You know what that means? That means as a believer, you're commanded to work out your own salvation in fear and much trembling. You do realize that that means, you, that's not like, hey, by the way, if you're going to work out your own salvation, go outside the church and do that, then come back when you're joyful and happy. Work out your own salvation in fear and much trembling. That's inside the body of faith. That's inside the church. While you may feel like your doubts, or maybe someone's convinced you of this, that your doubts set you outside the community of faith, know this, we are all weak. We all struggle. We are all needy. We all have questions. And we all have moments in our life where we say, if God is truly good, why is this happening to me? If God is so loving, why is this occurring? Where are you, God? And while you may feel that way, what you need is for your faith to be strengthened. And for your faith to be strengthened, what you need is a renewed vision. If you're a believer in Christ, you need a renewed vision of Jesus. You need to have a 
renewed experience with him. Look what it says. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked. And it's interesting he wants to mention that, by the way. The doors were locked. Why? Well, the other disciples had seen Jesus. But they were still afraid. They were still afraid. And I, and I know I said this a few weeks ago. I'm going to say it again. You do realize that because Jesus died and then rose again from the grave, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have absolutely nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear because the one you serve rules everything. The one you serve has power over everything. Someone asked me, so what you're saying is if I have faith, I'm not supposed to lock my doors? No, that's not what I said. See, they didn't lock their, for, uh, their doors because it's a practical and wise thing to do. They locked the doors because they were afraid. And if you're living in fear, no, that's not the right thing to do. So, they're behind these locked doors. Jesus came and stood among them. Here it is again. He just shows up in the room. The doors are locked. He shows up in the room. And what does he say? He says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Jesus shows up. Whether it's Aramaic, which I'm certain it was, but it was Aramaic. Jesus says in Hebrew, shalom. Which is more than just the absence of conflict. When we think peace, we mean no one's at war anymore. But the word shalom, that concept of shalom in the Jewish culture, it means so much more than just an absence of conflict. It actually means wholeness. To be made whole. To be right. So Jesus shows up and he says, shalom. Be right. Be whole. Don't worry, don't fear, don't doubt. Have peace, have wholeness. That's what Jesus declares. And see, many of us, and maybe you're here this morning, you're struggling with doubt, or, or you've struggled at least at one time or another, and we're prone to discouragement. And when we grow discouraged, when we grow fearful, we believe or we're convinced that we can't really be around the people of God. See, because we're the church as a whole is terrible about making people think that this is a place for people who have it all together. Can I can I be really clear for you clear with you? Church is not a place for people who have it all together. Church is a place for people who are ready and willing to admit that they don't have it all together. That's why you're here. That's why I need the word every day. Not because I'm awesome, but because I know how not awesome I am. I need the word every day. I need prayer every day. I need worship every day. Not because I am amazing, but because I'm not. And I need him. See, don't... When you struggle in your doubts, and you struggle in your fears, and you struggle in your anxiety and your disbelief, don't run from the community of faith. One preacher said it this way, that actually the true mark of a believer is this. If you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ, when you struggle in your faith or you struggle with doubt, you run toward God. And those who are not truly believers will run away from God. When you flee from the very thing that will fix you, the very thing that will make you right. And so when we look at this, where's Thomas? Even in his doubt, even in his disbelief, where is he? He's still in the community of faith. He's struggling with his brothers. He's struggling with those around him who know Jesus, who have seen Jesus. See, the reason the church 
should be a safe place for those who doubt. And a safe place for those who struggle. Is because to answer your doubts and to answer your struggles, you need Jesus. And the best place for you to have an experience with the risen Lord is among his people. Not that you can't have one on your own. But I can tell you the best place to have it is among his people. Something special happens when God's people come together. Right? We know that because we had this little thing called COVID where we weren't able to be together. Right? Something special when God's people can come together. So, trying to get answers, trying to get all the, 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 the empirical facts. Like, like Thomas wanted, he, he wanted, I, I need to see him with my eyes, I need to touch him with my hands. I need empirical data to answer my doubts. And that might satisfy you for a little bit. You know, 27 reasons as to why Jesus rose from the dead. Those things. They can satisfy you for a little bit. But in the end, the answer to your doubt is a fresh encounter with Jesus. That's the answer to your doubt. This is what happened with Thomas. So, so what has is, what is Thomas said? Because he was, it, it kind of gives it off. He was kind of braggadocious about what he's saying here. We have seen the Lord. Nah, I'm not going to believe you. Unless I see him with my own eyes, unless I see the nail prints, unless I stick my finger in the nail scars, unless I stick my hand in the side, uh, in his side where the spear pierced, unless that happens, I'm not going to believe. Now think about this, <laughs> this situation. Jesus, Thomas shows up, they say, we've seen the Lord. He says, you haven't. Eight days go by where Thomas is dealing with doubt and discouragement. Um, and he's, he's dealing with all of those things. He's still there. He's in a room where everybody else in this room has, has experienced Jesus in one way or another at least. And, and so he's in this room. And at that moment, Jesus appears in the room. He says, peace be with you. And then he turns. In verse 27, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas. It's everybody in the room. And he turns to Thomas. And he says, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Think about this. Eight days before, Jesus shows up and he knows exactly what Thomas said. He knows exactly what Thomas was feeling. Because he's not dealing, you're not dealing with just anybody. You're dealing with the all-powerful, all-knowing God of all creation. Jesus shows up and everybody's in the room. He says, peace be with you. And then he turns and he says, Thomas, right there. You ready? You can touch right there. Or how about here in my side? And he looks at Thomas and he does not say, stop doubting. Look at what he says. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So what is Thomas's issue? It's unbelief. Thomas's issue is unbelief. Jesus speaks directly to it. He doesn't speak to doubt. He speaks to unbelief. And literally he says, do not be unbelieving, but believing. Or do not be in, or remain in a state of unbelief, but instead reside in a state of belief. Thomas, from this point on, that's what I want you to do. I don't want you to not believe anymore. I want you to believe. And then he says something that's amazing. See, Thomas has been known for centuries as Doubting Thomas. 
We use that phrase in our parlance all the time. And we say things like, oh, don't be a doubting Thomas. Oh, he's just a doubting Thomas. Whatever. And we use that all the time. But did you know something? While Thomas dealt with doubts or disbelief, the truth is, Thomas is also one of the first people to say something out loud. That's recorded, at least, in the Gospels. See, when Jesus shows up, he says, Thomas, here's my hand. Thomas, here's my side. Don't be unbelieving anymore, but instead, now I want you to be believing. And Thomas looks at him. And and the reason, it, it doesn't indicate that Thomas reached over and touched the hand at all. In fact, I think there's a reason it doesn't indicate it. It doesn't indicate it because he didn't. The moment he saw Jesus... The moment he heard Jesus' voice, the moment he knew who he was dealing with, Thomas responds and says, my Lord and my God. Now, is it odd, strange, or out of the ordinary, really, for Thomas to refer to Jesus as Lord? No. They they called him that all the time. It's the word master. He was their rabbi. He was their teacher. He was their leader. So he called them Lord. And that's not that abnormal. So this is somewhat normal that he would call him Lord. But the second phrase is not normal. He does not say, you know, even Peter. Peter said, uh, when Jesus asked him, what do you, what do people say that I am? Some say that you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. And then he looks at Peter and says, well, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But even Peter didn't say this. Thomas looked Jesus in the face and he said, my Lord and my God. He understood the implications of the resurrection. Not just anybody gets up out of the grave of their own accord. Jesus got up out of the grave and at that moment he recognized the implication of the resurrection. Jesus said he was going to die. Jesus said he was going to be buried. Jesus said he was going to raise from the dead. I saw him die. I saw him buried. And now I see him risen. Oh, this guy's much more than just a rabbi. This guy's much more than just a teacher or a good miracle worker or a moral man. This man must be God himself. My Lord and my God. And then Jesus says, Have you believed because you have seen me? Of course, it's a rhetorical question. Yes. That's Thomas believed because he saw him. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, that's you. That's us. Those who have not seen but still believe. Why? Because I know, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, but I have never seen him in bodily form. I I never have. But make no mistake about it, while you are not going to encounter, at least in this moment in time, you're not going to encounter Jesus in bodily form, you can encounter the Lord Jesus Christ today. You can encounter him first through the testimony of his word. See, if you want to know who Jesus, the living word, is, we're told all about him in his written word. This is the way that you and I know who Jesus is, who we're supposed to be, and how we're supposed to get there. That's what his word is. So we can encounter Jesus through his word. We can also encounter Jesus through the testimony of his people. Where somebody else looks you in the eye and says, hey, I've been there. I've struggled with that. I've dealt with that. Can I pray with you? Let me tell you how 
what the Lord did for me. Let me tell you what God is doing in my life. And you can encounter God's work and the presence of Jesus Christ through the testimony of other people. Or you can encounter Jesus today through the testimony of his past action in your life. I love this about the psalmist and specifically David. David's always crying out in the Psalms, oh, my enemies are encamped around about me, or, um, or I feel that my life is wasting away to the point of death, or whatever it may be. And he's constantly talking about those things. And then there's a moment in the Psalms where he will turn and he will say something like, but I look unto the hills, where does my help come from? Or he says, um, or I looked unto the temple, or I looked unto you, or oh, my soul, why are you so downcast within me? Instead, hope in the Lord. And he's speaking to himself. What does David do? The moment in his life that David is struggling, that he is doubting, that he's dealing with disbelief, when he's dealing with unbelief, and he doesn't know what's going on, he takes his eyes off his problem, and he puts his eyes on the Lord, and at that moment, he gains all the perspective he needs. So you ever been in a, a dark room, or a room, rather, walking towards something, and then somebody turns off the lights? I mean, it's pitch black. Somebody turns off the lights, and at the moment they turn off the lights, you can't see what's in front of you. You know what's interesting? In that moment, you can't see what's in front of you, but you know they turned off the lights. You also can't see what's behind you. See, sometimes in life, when we're walking and we get discouraged, we're afraid, we have anxiety, we have the fear of unknown because we don't know what's in front of us, we turn around and we tend to, it's very easy for us to forget what happened behind us. It's very easy to forget what God has done. See, and if you're in his word and you know his word, then you know, one of, in my mind, one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture. One of the greatest promises in all of Scripture that we are told. And you say, well, it doesn't sound like a promise, but I think it is. We are told that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation, there is no shifting of shadow or shifting of change. So that doesn't really sound like a promise. I think it is a promise. You know why? It's a promise because it tells us that God never changes. God never changes. And the reason that's so important is David would be looking at his issues, going, oh, my enemies are going to kill me. My enemies are going to destroy me. And then he says, and then I remembered. And he looks back at what God has done before. And when he looks back at what God has done before, he trusts that God will do it again. See, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're struggling with doubt, you're struggling with fear, you're struggling with the fear of the unknown or whatever it might be, know this. If you're struggling with provision in your finances, know this. You're still here. He took care of you before. He'll take care of you again. If you're struggling in your family, then you can know that he, will, he, he has taken care of you before. He'll take care of you again. If you're struggling physically, you can know that while he may not heal you on this side of heaven, he has healed you before and he will heal you again. Why? Because he never changes. And because he never changes, you can rest in that promise. Rest in that truth. And know, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil. Because his rod and his staff will comfort you. He will guide you. He will lead you. Why? Because he always has. And he always will. See, doubt's real. <laughs> and the church should be a, a safe place. 
It should be a safe place for people to hurt. It should be a safe place for people to struggle. It should be a safe place for people to doubt. Now, now hear me. That does not mean it should be a place where you just stay in your doubt all the time. Okay? You don't get to just mire down in the doubt and stay there forever. It's a safe place to doubt. But when we are in the family of faith, and you're in his word, and you're around his people, and you're experiencing worship, I can promise you this, he won't let you stay there for long. He will uplift you. Why? Because the Bible says he is the uplifter of my head. He is the one who draws me out of the miry clay and sets my feet upon a rock, as the psalmist says. And then he didn't just leave it, he says, and then he put a song in my heart, a song of praise. So, the only thing that can cure your doubt, the only thing that can cure your disbelief, is the presence of Jesus. It's what happened to Thomas. The moment he was in the presence of Christ, everything changed. The moment he was in the presence of Christ, looking into the face of of his risen Savior, everything changed. Now, the truth is, I think there's probably four types of people who are listening to this message this morning, whether here or online. Four types of people. The first one is the believer who's growing in their faith, trusting the Lord, and you are not doubting, worrying, fearing, or having any kind of anxiety whatsoever. Well, praise God, we are happy for you. Continue to grow and worship the Lord thankful for that the second person is a believer struggling with doubt struggling with disbelief struggling with fear anxiety and all of those things struggling to believe in him maybe just struggling to believe him and his promises don't don't run from the word don't run from christ don't run from the people of god don't run from the church run to the savior Run, dig, dig. You say, well, when I pray, I feel like my prayers are going up, bouncing off the ceiling, coming down. Pray more. When I read the word, it's, it's like nothing happened. Read more. When I come to worship, I just don't feel anything. Worship more. And I promise you this, he will be found. Because he promises in his word, if you seek him, you will find him if you seek him with your whole heart so believer if you're struggling with doubt don't run from the family of faith don't run from the word don't run from christ run to those things the third person who could be hearing this is the skeptic the skeptic you're you're hearing these things and you struggle to believe who jesus is and and what he has said what i want to do is this i want to encourage you Eastwood Baptist Church is a safe place for you to be a skeptic. But just know this. While you're here, we're going to do our very best to convince you otherwise. And as you struggle, and as you investigate and dig, I can promise you this. Dig as hard as you want to. This always stands the test of time. Dig. I would love to have coffee with you. I'd love to talk with you. 
You want to ask questions? I'm not going to think, wow, that's a terrible person. I'm going to think, wow, he or she is just like me before I became a Christian. Investigate, dig. Dive into the gospel of John and learn who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And the fourth type of person is simply a person who has not believed up to this point. But you are ready to trust Jesus Christ. You're ready to turn your life over to him. You're ready to do just like Thomas did. Because you realize what Thomas did is the very same thing you need to do this morning. You look at Jesus and say, my Lord and my God. That's it. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you will be saved. That's what Thomas did. That's what the thief on the cross did when he looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And this morning, that could be you. If you simply look at Jesus and you recognize you are broken in your sin. You look at Jesus and you say, I'm done. I need you to be my Lord. I need you to be my God. You do that this morning, he'll save you. He promises he will. If you will simply give yourself over to him. And when you do that, in your doubt, in your struggle, in your disbelief. You can do just like Thomas, just like Jesus told him. Don't be disbelieving, be believing. What do you believe? It's the title of our sermon series. You believe that Jesus is king.